All right, take your Bibles. Here we are. We're in 1 John. We're walking in our study, walking in the light, and uh, we are proceeding and, and going through the book. Last week, we walked through uh, John's description of avoiding the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Remember that? We, that seems like a long time ago. But he was admonishing us to be in the world, but not of the world. And there's a reason that he's highlighting this stuff and earmarking it uh, as important. And what he's saying is this. It's not just that stuff, but there is a world system that's leading to something. And you've got to be watching out for that. And, and John is about to introduce us to someone. If Jesus is the most famous person who ever walked the face of the planet, then this next person is or will be the most infamous person to ever walk the planet. John is going to introduce us to the Antichrist. We should probably pray. Father in heaven, when it comes to these kind of topics, you're the only one who really knows the ins and outs and the time frames, and we seek you this morning. As we come to this topic that John's talked about, it's going to uh, go in one direction and take another. And Lord, I, I seek you as we're thinking through this together as a group of people, that we would, number one, have your joy and confidence. Number two, insight. Give us insight into the times in which you called us to live. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so let's start with a qualifier this morning uh, so that you're able to balance your expectations. Uh, this should only be seen as a preliminary, uh, what we're going to talk about, into this topic. And we're going to quickly morph towards something else that needs to be covered. We're going we're gonna to take the passage the way John uses it. And uh, if you want to study more on this, you can do a lot more study on your own, all right? So you're able to do that. And uh, so let's begin. We're going to cover verses 18 to 28 this morning, and we're just going to read all of them together. So let's read them together. We'll begin with verse 18, and it says this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
Okay, that's a lot right there, right? We're going to roll through. Let's uh, pull that apart a little bit and break it down and take a look. Starting with verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Uh, as we said last week, Antichrist gets his name because he is against God. Anti means against, right? We even know that in our culture. That's what it means, anti. And so he is the Antichrist, the opposition of Christ. And as we pointed out last week, the Antichrist is, will be the head of this world system that John is trying to warn us about. Remember at this point in the writing, the book of Revelation has not been written yet, right? So 1 John is actually uh, what's, uh, what we actually have at this point. And John is the very first person to coin this term, Antichrist. So other names for this person are, uh, he's prefigured in Isaiah as the king of Babylon. That's Isaiah 14. If you want to go and take a look at that chapter, uh, you'll be reading about the king of Babylon and suddenly you'll realize it morphs into a description of someone else. And you're like, whoa, who, who's this guy really talking about? And what that's called is a telescoping prophecy. All right, so if you go and look at that, what you'll find is that it starts talking about one person and then telescopes to another person. And uh, that's what you have in Isaiah 14. He's prefigured in the book of Ezekiel as the king of Tyre. And that's in Ezekiel 28. So Isaiah 14, if you double it, Ezekiel 28. Same thing, starts talking about this king of Tyre and then it telescopes and you realize that he's talking about another person. And so this uh, rolls out that way. Uh, he's also known as Lucifer in Isaiah 14, the little horn in Daniel, the king of fierce countenance in Daniel, chapter 8, the willful king in Daniel, uh, the man of sin, the wicked one, the son of perdition. Really nice titles, right? That wicked one in 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, 3 through 8. Then, of course, in Revelation, he's known as the beast. So you have this person. It says that he will worship a god of fortresses and that his fathers or the god of fortresses that his fathers did not know and that he will have a bold face or a stern face and will be extremely clever and deceitful uh, if you watch any of the tv shows they they play out all these plots right and part of your job as the audience is to try and follow the plots and they throw in as many curves as they can and you realize how tricky or deceitful uh, these people can be. And that's that style of person, uh, only much more so. If you read through, the descriptions are terrifying. He will carry a vendetta against the saints, that be us, right? John says that he is not here yet, but that he is coming, and that you could tell by the signs of the time. John calls this the last hour. A couple of observations about that. First, we are not the first generation that has believed they are living in the end times. John thought he was living in the end times. His generation certainly thought, certainly thought so. Some reasons why. Uh, here's why they thought they're in the end times. First, John was fully convinced that Jesus returned in his lifetime. By the way, so did Paul and so did Peter, if you read their epistles. Uh, the church was fully convinced that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Uh, first of all, they had a guy named Nero, right? And Nero is what's called a prototype. Nero is a copy or uh, a person who reflects 
the spirit of that, and he was really good at what he did. He was demented, he was insane, and he loved killing Christians, and as far as they were concerned, that was the end of the world. Uh, Nero put to death Peter and Paul, and so they were pretty sure that was going to stack up. Plus, there was the witness of John's own life. Do you remember the story when uh, Peter and Jesus are talking, right? And Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know, right? He goes through that three times. And, and then uh, Jesus looks at Peter and says, follow me. And so Peter and Jesus start walking and John kind of tails along with them. And Peter looks back and he looks at John and says, well, what about that guy? And, uh, and he says, well, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, the disciple John, the one who Jesus loved, would not die. And yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? And they went, yeah, tricky semantics. Jesus will come back before John dies. And so John, when he's writing First John here, is an older man. And many are anticipating that at John's death, the return of the Lord would happen before uh, John's death. Certainly there have been other leaders who are prototypes or forerunners of this uh, Antichrist person. Uh, we mentioned Nero already. Uh, Hitler obviously is an obvious one. Uh, Idi Amin uh, is one that is often prototyped that way. Pol Pot in Cambodia. Stalin. Uh, interesting enough, Hitler gets a lot of bad press for killing 6 million Jews. Stalin killed 30 to 60 million of his own people, many of those Christians. Right? So if you want to talk about a monster, Stalin fix the picture quite well. The point is that the Antichrist has yet to be revealed. But right here, right when our curiosity and our interest, and we're like, oh, where's this going to go? Goes John does a hook, all right? And he rolls it into something else uh, that he's talking about. He says uh, something interesting about this whole concept. He takes the idea and then he extends it to something else. Look with me at, at verse 18. Children, he goes from Antichrist to Antichrist. So children, it's the last hour, and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, he goes from Antichrist capitalized to Antichrist multiple and small a. In other words, there's a bunch of them little critters running around. There's a bunch of those guys. There's a bunch of things that foreshadow uh, this type of coming. And John is talking about and saying that one of the indicators uh, is that many antichrists will arise. What's John talking about? Well, let's just follow the trail. Go back to the passage. In verse 19, he says this. He's talking about these antichrist figures. What describes them? They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they were not of us. There were many problems in the early church, and one of them was that there were a lot of opinions. And as a result of these opinions, a lot of people broke off and created what would be called splinter groups. And so they were uh, creating that. And we said earlier in the study, we've looked at some of these heresies. We look like, at, for example, the Gnostics, which is one of the groups John is talking about right here uh, in this passage. And it was causing a huge consternation and heartache within the church body. Much like it does today. 
it just, it's just like it's super discouraging to hear of another pastor or a worship leader or a speaker talk about deconstructing their faith and, and moving away from Jesus. And John calls them back to the anointing that they received when they first came to know the Lord. Do you remember that moment when you first came to know the Lord and there was an anointing given to you where your eyes were open and you saw the Lord? John says this in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. This anointing is from the Holy Spirit and it's by grace and grace alone that we're saved. It is God doing something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And John is saying this. Do you remember that? Do you remember when he called you? Do you remember when he wooed you to himself and said, this way, come this way? One of our prayers for our church is that God would go out to the whole Mill Creek region and whisper to people, come back, come back, come back to me, come back to the church, come back. And if Satan, I've said, if Satan's a great whisperer, God's a better whisperer. And so we've been praying for that, and we've been asking for that. And I'll take that, amen. Thank you, James. John is saying, remember who called you. It's Jesus. Stick with him. Don't deviate from that. And that that anointing was authored and anchored by the Holy Spirit. So stay strong, stay anchored, stay steadfast in the midst of these antichrists. Don't get rattled, don't deviate, don't go off in a different direction, stay solid. John says this, if they were really of us, they would have stayed. Okay? But it just but they didn't. And it just proves that they're really not part of us at all. I can't tell you how many people I know who called on Christ, walked with Christ, served for Christ, and are no longer with Christ. Can you think of anybody? It's heart-wrenching and gutting. I didn't have a category for this when I first came to Christ. I didn't know that could actually happen. And I, I didn't have a category for that when I first got into ministry. I just thought everybody got saved and we'd all pile in and we'd just create this great train of believers rolling through and there'd be thousands upon thousands and you know they'd all come. I didn't have a category for people walking away. And to be really honest, I still don't have a very good category for this after 40 plus years of ministry. I'm still astonished when I see it happen. It still gut-wrenches me every time. You know, John's church felt the same way. They were really wrestling with this. So John is encouraging them. He's saying this, Track truth and watch out for lies. Watch out for liars. Again, let's put this major principle in place. Truth is the language of heaven. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. Lies is the language of what? Hell. Jesus said of Satan, he is a liar and the father of lies. In other words, lying as we know it comes from Satan. Why shouldn't we lie? Because it's not in the nature of who we are in Christ to lie. We should be using the language of heaven, truth, not the language of hell. That's what John is pointing out here. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Here's the pivot point. Who does Jesus claim to be? 
Jesus claims to be God. In our culture today, it's very common to hear it. I heard it in the grocery store. They'll say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Right? People flip that off like that's a gospel truth. It's not. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, John's saying, hey, you don't have to worry about this one big bad dude. You know, we will have to worry about him. But there's a lot of these people out there. They're Antichrist spirit. What is the Antichrist spirit? They are against Christ. They're against Jesus and against everything that Jesus stands for. Uh, you run into it in the workplace and, and where you live all the time. So when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to what is the, are the basic pivot points of Christianity, there's two. And we want to be really clear on this. There's two major pivot points when it comes to heresy. The first one is that they will say Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was all these things, but he was anything but God. They will turn that. The second one is that the Bible is not the word of God. That there are other books that are the more sacred writings or you need other books to complement the Bible where the Bible says, no, Jesus is the Christ, period. He is the son of God, fully human, fully God. He is the one who died on the cross for our sins and the Bible is the word of God. That's why I came up with this statement under pressure of persecution, I would say this, I am a believer in and a follower of the risen and resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe the Bible's the word of God. Why? Because of those two pivot points. I'm going to land on those two. You want to take me down for those two, I will go down for those two. All right? That's what John is arguing. Watch how John lays this out. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Everybody wants eternal life. If you watch the TV shows, they're all about how can we humanly find eternal life. They're trying to find artificial ways to whip up eternal life so that they never die. Why? Because they don't want to face judgment and they don't want to face God because they know outside of God they don't have eternal life. Well, why don't they come to God? Because they know if they have to come to God, they have to come through Jesus. And they don't want to come through Jesus. But they want to say they have the Father even though they don't have Jesus. Oh, I love God. I'm very spiritual. Oh, do you know Jesus? No. John's saying that's not possible. This exclusive claim is that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. John says that if you deny the Son, look it up there, that's not me saying this, that's John, then you don't have the Father either. You can't get to God if you don't have the Son. It's very popular to have all kinds of people make all kinds of claims, as I said, about their great relationship with God apart from Jesus. John is saying that's not possible. Stay anchored, he's saying, in what you heard from the beginning. Don't be led astray. The promise of eternal life comes from being in a relationship with God the Father through his Son. This is where people get their undies all in a bundle. All right? They react to what's painted as 
the exclusivity of Christianity. Uh, Jesus is saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me is incredibly politically incorrect and unacceptable. We, we, we don't like that. There are many ways to God. How dare you? A little thinking helps this, uh, clear this up really quickly. Christianity, Jesus, is exclusive in terms of the route. In other words, how do you get there? How can you get close to God? How can you have God overlook your sins and not lead you into judgment because of your sins? The route is very clear. It is exclusive. It has to be through Jesus. Jesus says there's no way to the Father except through him. No one else has died in the place of our sins in this world. No one else has risen from the dead. There's still this sticky problem of the inability of opponents of Christianity to produce a body. And the reason they can't is because it was resurrected. So in essence, Jesus and by extension John are saying, there's only one way in. There's only one route to get in. And that is through the offer to call unto him, Jesus, and you shall be saved. But the offer, and here's the key point, the offer is not exclusive as to who may use that gate. In other words, there's a route and a gate to come through. Who could use it? Who could call out to Jesus and be saved? And the Bible says the gate is open to all. God does not wish the death of anyone. God does not take delight in the death of the wicked. God wishes that all would repent and come unto salvation to him. For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Funny thing about that gate is that to get to the other side, you actually have to walk through it. Right? You can stand there and look at that gate. Nice gate. Nice paint job. Cool latch. That doesn't do you any good. You actually have to walk through it. And the question this morning is, have you? Have you asked Jesus to personally come in and unlock Unlock the gate of eternal life for you. You could pray this prayer this way. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm on the wrong side of the gate. And I recognize that it's locked. And if it stays locked and I stay on this side, I will be cast into hell for all eternity for the sins that I have committed. I also realize that I can't unlock the gate by myself through my good works or sacrifices or offering or whatever other attempts I might make. Only you can open the gate to eternal life. I surrender to you. Will you please come into my life, forgive my sins, and unlock the gate of eternal life for me? I call out to you while the gate can still be unlocked. May I come to the other side, eternal life, because of your death, burial, and resurrection that gave you the keys to the kingdom and the keys to the gate. Thank you for your mercy to this sinner. Amen. If you're watching this morning, you prayed that this morning, get in touch with me, let me know. We'd love to see you on the other side of the gate. John next turns his attention to deceivers and liars because this is a big problem in the early church who are trying to mislead the true children of Jesus. And he spares no punches, as we've seen. He calls them antichrists. Pretty strong language. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. 
In other words, it's intentional. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. In other words, John's counting on the Holy Spirit telling you the truth and you listening to the truth and not being able to be pulled away or being able to be pulled astray. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as isn't, by the way, how does the Holy Spirit teach you? You need to be in the Word, right? Great, great plug for being in the Bible. Great plug for reading through the Bible. Great plug for knowing the Bible. As things get worse, you should know the Bible better. Amen? Amen. Let's do it. But His anointing teaches you about everything as true and is no lie, just as, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Here's the thing about being deceived. Being deceived is an inside job, right? Being deceived is an inside job. That means there's a spy. John is saying that these little, little a antichrists are a real concern for the church. Do you know what a spy's motto is? Right? A lot of you watch spy movies and that. What a spy's motto is? Here's what it is. To betray, you have to belong. To betray, you have to belong. Uh, in the story of God commentary, uh, James got me turned on to that. It's really good. Uh, he shares this incredible illustration of a man named Harold Adrian Russell Philby, also known as Kim Philby. Uh, you probably have never heard of this man. I mean, you have no idea who he is, but I, I'll just quote the story from the commentary. It says this, Kim Philby was literally one of the most treacherous double agents in British history. After years of secretly betraying his country by working as a British intelligence officer and Soviet spy, he finally defected to the USSR in 1963, where he remained until his death in 1988. On the 50th anniversary of his defection to the USSR, the Telegraphs, that's a British paper, the Telegraphs' Neil Tweedy reflected on Philby's betrayal in a piece called Kim Philby, Father, husband, traitor, spy. While Philby pretended to serve his country, he was secretly a committed communist. This duplicity led him to betray fellow British agents, oft times leading to their deaths. The Telegraph piece references Michael Smith, a historian of M16, who thinks that scores, maybe even hundreds, of M16 and CIA agents were doomed by Philby's activities. The number, he goes on to say, the number of M16 operations destroyed and agents killed as a result of Philby's betrayal is impossible to calculate. But operations mounted in the Baltic states, Poland, Albania, and the Southern Soviet Union were all compromised by Philby's involvement. And here's what's even more interesting. Before his true allegiance was revealed, Philby climbed high within, British in, within the British intelligence world, being promoted, ironically, to the head of the anti-Soviet section of M16. Can you believe that? He became the principal liaison between the British and U.S. intelligence agencies. Leading up to his defection, however, M16's suspicions about Philby grew but could not be confirmed. He managed to flee just as they began to close in on him. Kim Philby's treacherous and destructive acts of betrayal all stem from his inner convictions. He believed in communism, and his internal commitment caused him to breach trust, give others over to death, and to abandon his family and his country. 
There's something especially pernicious about double agents. They claim to be one thing while they are in fact another. They infiltrate our ranks, creating relationships of trust and intimacy, all the while with the intention of working against us. The spy's chilling motto, to betray you must belong, stands as a warning for all of us in the church. There have always been double agents within our ranks. And because they seem to belong to us, their betrayal is even more dangerous and painful. Within the church now, there will be people who claim to follow Christ, but in fact, their allegiances lie elsewhere. They appear to be Christians and share in the partnership and the friendship and the community of God's people, but all the while, they are serving another Lord. Eventually, their defection reveals the truth. Just as Kim Philby's defection to the USR finally confirmed his true loyalties, so the person who eventually leaves the church once and for all reveals his or her true spiritual situation. Though sad and painful, the defection brings their duplicity to an end. As John says, their going showed that none of them belonged to us. What is John's answer to this problem, by the way, as we're talking about this? In the midst of that, if that's occurring in the church in John's day and our day, what's his answer for this problem? And his answer for the problem is abiding. Stay close to Jesus. He says, but, this, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. And John doubles down on this. Look at verse 29. And now, little children... Since now we know all the stuff we just talked about. Abide in him, stick with him, stay close, stay tight, so that when he appears, we may have confidence not to shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, by the way, the goal of the Christian life is not happiness. That's the American definition of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is holiness. We've got to keep that straight. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What is this anointing? The anointing is that you have been, by the grace of God, you and I, brought into a living relationship with the triune God, of the universe through the sacrificial atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an unbelievable miracle. And John's saying this, as you have come to know Jesus, stay with Jesus. Got that? As you have come to know Jesus, stay with Jesus. And I'm speaking to those of us who've known the Lord for a while. It's easy to start a project. Any of you start a home project? And then about halfway through, go, what in the heck was I thinking, right? It's easy to start. It's hard to finish. Many, many people start well. Very few finish well. And John here is saying what? Finish well. Go all the way. Don't go half. Don't go three quarters. Go all the way. You walk with Jesus till Jesus takes you home, period, regardless of what happens around you and regardless of what other people are doing. You stay with Jesus. Stick with that. Anything else is a lie. So don't be moved. Stay solid. Stay tight. What's the term again? Abide. 
Abide means together, right? John's saying this, if they go, they go. You follow Jesus, right? Isn't that just like what Jesus said to Peter? You follow me. Forget what's going on with the other guys. You follow me. Hebrews 10 underscores what John is saying. When he returns, we won't, you won't have to shrink back as someone with no confidence, saying this, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. In other words, discourage, hang in there, keep moving forward. For you have the need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For what is promised is where? At the end, not at the middle. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back, here's the good news, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So question this morning, what are you gonna, who are you going to be? Are you going to be a Kim Philby? Or are you going to be an Apostle John? Who are you going to be? Are you going to fake out and betray? Flake out, I meant? Or are you going to be the Apostle John and hang in there till the end? Let's be those who hang in there to the end. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this boy, that's pretty clear. That's some powerful, powerful stuff. It speaks to us. Lord, I, I want to pray about the gate. If there was anybody this morning that was wrestling with that gate and they're on the side looking and they, they desperately uh, want to come in and they're afraid, Lord, I pray that they would just ask you to open the latch and come ask you to come into their life. Lord, whether it's here or online, uh, I don't care where it is. Lord, we seek you this morning. We live in a tricky, deceptive culture. Subtle and obvious all at the same time. And everything seems to be pulling people away from you. You are not a popular topic today. Lord, we ask that you would literally, by a work of your grace, turn that around and flip it on its head. Lord, we pray that you would whisper to people. We pray that you would speak and unveil their conscience, that you would open their eyes. We pray that you would help us not be lied to by the enemy, not be uh, playing a double standard. Lord, that you would help our hearts be pure and that in you, you would help us be righteous. Help us be righteous people. Help us be holy people. Help us be right people, Lord. And may it be a sincere and a reflection of your work in our lives. Lord, we seek you. We don't know where we are in history, but like John says, there's a time coming when it's going to get bad and there will be an antichrist. And yet there are many antichrists in our culture right now. That passage is so accurate. We give that to you that you would help us track with you and stay with you no matter what. And we ask this in your name. Amen.